You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Tommy is here. Aaron's here. I am here today. we got a lot of stuff to get to. I wanted, I wanted to start real quickly with this. The news that Morgan Wooten is very ill. Um, Morgan Wooten, according to DeMatha, uh, is now at home with hospice care. 88 years old, uh, DeMatha put out a tweet. They want the entire community to know how much he appreciates all of the love and support he and his wife um, and the family um, have rece- received the prayers mean the world to them. Um, uh, he hasn't passed, okay, at this right. point. Um, so I, I hesitate to really do a whole sort of retrospective. But in reading that news early this morning, I, I heard Galdi, you know, doing it on um, on his show um, on the way in. And I just thought about a lot of things. I mean, I thought about the lunch with a legend that you and I did with yes. Morgan Wooten, which was so fascinating and so interesting because we got all of those stories about the high school days and the rivalry with John Thompson, which there was no love lost no. between the two of them. I, I thought personally and, and have you know often thought about this, and we all have you know experiences from you know our young you know you know formative years. And I went to Morgan Wooten and Joe Gallagher's basketball camp, <clears throat> which was called Metropolitan Boys Basketball School, every summer for. I don't know, eight years, you know, from like age seven to 15 or, you know, 15, I would go, you know, two, two weeks minimum every summer. Right. It was a day camp, Tommy, but it, it, it became eventually a sleepaway camp, um, which they did um, somewhere up in, in Maryland. Anyway, it, it was the most, um, it, it was the best camp on the East Coast. Kids from all over the East Coast came to this basketball camp. I mean, you had so much talent there. Yeah. And the counselors were the DeMatha and St. John's players. So, you know, some pretty eventual, really good college yes. basketball players. Like my coach one year was Derek Wittenberg. <laughs> you know, the famous Derek Wittenberg who threw the pass to Lorenzo Charles or missed <laughs> the shot in the 82 championship game. And and so, you know, I, I talked about it this morning and there were people that sent me, God, I went to that basketball camp too. Danny Ferry was my, you know, was my counselor and my coach and the whole thing. But um, it was such a great experience. And I think about all the people, when you are a coach and a teacher, and Morgan Wooten was a teacher too, and according to a lot of people, was a great world history teacher for years at DeMatha. When you think of somebody who has spent his entire career coaching high school basketball and teaching, you know, in a high school, you think about all the people he's influenced. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I mean, it's it's remarkable. All I mean, you know, I'm an outsider. I mean, I didn't grow up around here. Right. You know, I didn't experience any of that. But I'm constantly amazed at all all the people uh, who have fond memories who who he touched. Yeah. You know, at one point or another. I mean, some of whom didn't play basketball or had anything to do with basketball. So, I mean, he's one of the most influential uh, figures among on the community uh, of of our time. You know, I probably failed here in the first three, four minutes of the show. Not everybody listening knows who Morgan Wooten is or, or, or understands his impact. Morgan Wooten is really the greatest high school basketball coach of all time. You know, he's got uh, 22, five mythical national championships, which is what high school is. 22 championships here in D.C. when they used to play the city title game. They don't really anymore. 33 um, WCAC titles. The Washington Catholic 
Catholic Athletic Conference has been and still is the best basketball league in America for high school basketball. In fact, right now, and I just did something on this the other day on the radio show, four teams from that league are in the ESPN Top 25 right now. Four. Not one other metro area has more than one team, and this league has four of the top 25 nationally. DeMath is in it, Gonzaga's in it, St. John's is in it, and PVI, Paul VI. um, All of them in the top 25. Anyway, Morgan Wooten is a legendary high school coach. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He's one of three high school coaches in the Basketball Hall of Fame. John Wooden, the great UCLA coach, many years ago, called Morgan Wooten um, from DeMatha the greatest basketball coach of all time in terms of his ability to coach basketball. Um, this is who Morgan Wooten is. Uh, he, he he was sick previously, you know, in the 90s. He nearly died from a malfunctioning liver, and then he had a kidney fail, and his son donated one of his kidneys. Um, and he, so he's 88 years old, and our prayers are out to him. But I, I'll never forget, you and I, that lunch with a legend was so much fun to do there. What did we do that for? I was trying to think of it this morning. It was like five years? Yes. It's like five years, right? Oh, yeah. And we did two or three or four a year. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Somebody, uh, Greg, asked me this morning, he said, well, why did you stop doing it? I said, well, I think we ran out of legends. Yeah, we did. Pretty much. Yeah. There was one that we never got that we wanted. Do you remember? No. One DC legend that you and I both attempted multiple times. We both had conversations with them about it. Oh, Ray. Yeah, Sugar Ray, Ray Leonard. Leonard. Was the only one yes. we felt like we needed to get, we never got yeah, him. Yeah, we never did get Ray. Anybody else that you consider to be a D.C. sports legend, with the exception of Alex Ovechkin, when we were doing it, I mean, Ovechkin was on the verge of it, but we didn't have Ovechkin. Right. Um, and we didn't have Walter Johnson or Sammy Ball either. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that two hours spent with him that day, it was so cool for me because I did grow up in this area. And I played basketball, and my father was a basketball coach when he was a young man. And I, you know, was taken to DeMatha St. John's games, DeMatha Mackin games when I was 12 years old. My dad would be like, We're going to, you know, we're going to see DeMatha play St. John's tonight. Big game, you know, number one versus number two. And then going to that basketball camp, which Morgan Wooten and Joe Gallagher, who was the longtime, you know, legendary St. John's coach here in town, you know, they they were the two um, owners of that camp, and it, it became super popular. I mean, thousands of kids a summer would go to it. And so many high school and future college players, you know, came out of that basketball camp. And and he used to do something at the end of each camp day. It was a tradition in that basketball camp. Morgan Wooten and Joe Gallagher would address the camp at the end of the day, say something. And by the way, Tommy, they would have the best speakers and guests come through uh-huh. there. They would have the best, you know, from Pete Maravich to Bill Russell. Red Auerbach? Red Auerbach every yes. summer was a lock to yeah. come through. Um, but at the end of every day at camp, Morgan Wooten would go to half court after he said whatever he would say, and he would attempt his bounce shot where he'd throw the ball straight up in the air and have it bounce, you know, just inside the free throw line. Yeah. And it would go in. It t- sometimes it would take him three or four attempts, but the camp wasn't over until he made one. <laughs> and he would finally make one. He had that shot down. But um you know, uh oh, I was uh so anyway, our prayers out to Morgan Wooten and his family. But when I was talking about our lunch with a legend earlier this morning, um my favorite one was the one you weren't there for, and it wasn't. That's not why it was my favorite one. But you, it, it was just John Thompson and me. I think you were out that day or couldn't make it or whatever. I forget what the circumstance was. 
around it because we were doing the show, but you couldn't make that one. That that was to me the most interesting one just because of his life. Um, but one of the Sonny was the one I owe you that. Yes, you did. I owe you a copy of the Sonny Jurgensen yeah. lunch with a le- legend. Yeah, Sonny. Hold Sonny on, let me was, make a note of that. Sonny was the one that was great. That was absolutely great. Lefty was was unbelievable. Uh, Dexter was memorable. Dexter, but killed, you know, killed my he cell phone. He broke your phone. He drowned your phone. <laughs> he drowned my phone by in water. slamming his fist on the it table. It was Cowboy Week. Yes. So th- those are the three that come to mind that were really legendary. There was one where we almost lost Richie Pettibone. We almost lost Richie Pettibone. We he were almost on a stage. fell off a stage in behind us that had no back. Who saved him? I th- you did. I did. Yeah. I was quick, it, it, you on, I was were. quick on the react. I, I'm telling I you. I grabbed the chair before he went backwards off of maybe a, I don't know, a three to f- about a four or five foot elevated it, stage. It, it would have it would have been a bad fall. It would have been an ugly fall. Yes. Um, Richie was great. John Thompson was great. Gary Williams was awesome. Yes. Um, you weren't there also for the Jim Palmer one. No, I was not. He was phenomenal. I think you did that before we did the that, show. That may be true. Yeah. But, you know. The, and then we did Bobby Dandrich and been, Kevin Greavy. And Kevin Greavy. That was a great we one. We also did a couple of them that weren't so good. No. And we won't mention what those were. No. Um, the lefty one, though, I told Greg the story this morning. I think you remember it. That basically, I asked him for like a year and a half. Remember, and he wanted to get paid. Yeah. You know, every time I would call him up, and he'd say, "Well, you know, I don't know. I, you gotta pay me." <laughs> and I said, "Lefty, we didn't pay John. We didn't pay Gary. Well, they live up there. I live down in the Tidewater <laughs> in Virginia Beach." Um, and finally, remember, we came up. With the, you know, Chuck came up with some money to pay Lefty. I don't know. It was a thousand bucks, fifteen hundred. Oh, bucks, it was and more it was than travel. money. There were there was all kinds of stuff. There was a limo. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole thing. There, there was a gift basket. Right. There was all kinds of right. stuff. But finally, we got. I got. I mean, it had been. It had, that was one that I went out and got, and I was in contact with Lefty over a year and a half period before he finally decided he would do it. And so the day of the show, with Lefty being the primary guest, we used to do these things down at Morton's uh, downtown on Connecticut Avenue. And we'd rent the you know the restaurant out, and we'd sell tickets. And you know a lot of those things sold out immediately. Lefty sold out immediately. Yes. And we packed the place, and it was really a lot of fun. And so we're down there, and what typically happened is our show started at noon, and there was an 11.30 meet-and-greet with you and me and then whomever the Lunch with a Legend guest was to take pictures, you know, and sign right. sign things. And so I told Lefty, you got to be there at 11.30, and we've got a car picking you up to pay, you know. So at 11.29 a.m., I look at my cell phone, and Lefty's calling me. He's not there yet at Morton's. And I pick up the phone, and I go, Lefty. He goes, Kevin, man, I was thinking about this. I need more money to do this. That's what he said to me. Do you remember this? I vaguely remember He it. said, I'm going to need more money to do this. And I said, are you shitting me? Are you out of your mind? People are here. It's packed. And he said, no, nah, man, I'm just kidding. I'm on the elevator coming upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I 
I was laughing. I was dying. And, and literally almost instantaneously, he walks in the door and he's pointing at me and he's laughing. He's going, I got you, didn't I? And I said, yeah, you got me. He goes, you were pretty, you were pretty mad. And I said, well, after negotiating with you for a year and a half over basically nickels, it wouldn't have surprised me. Um, so anyway, uh, that was a really good one. Um, anyway, that, so we got sidetracked there. The, the, the net of it, the, of the message here is we get, we send our prayers out to Morgan Wooten, who is an all time, you know, athletic sports figure in this city, but you know, in high school sports, probably the most well-known high school coach in the history he's of high in, school basketball. He's in the basketball hall of fame. He is. He's one of three high school yeah. coaches in the hall of fame. He's, he's, he's in the Naismith basketball yes. hall of fame. That's all you need to know. Um, all right. So, um, before I get to a, a Redskins topic, and you got some stuff today too, I wanted to. Did you? We didn't talk about this, Aaron, yesterday on the podcast, and I didn't see this. I don't think until maybe yesterday after the show. Danny Cannell, who I think works for SiriusXM now, he doesn't work for ESPN anymore. He's I don't a think. he's a weasel, by the way. So he is an outright weasel. Is he? I don't know him. I, I, mean, I don't his, really listen to I him don't, that much. You know, his, I mean, he really is, is an idiot when it comes to his public opinions. Really? So let's let's hear this okay, latest, so, latest moron. So he got a lot of attention for a take he had on Twitter during the 49ers-Packers game. It came after the play where Aaron Rodgers in the first half fumbles or botches the snap with his center. On the one drive in the first half where the Packers actually were moving the football and ended up being a turnover. And the ball was on the ground. It was recovered instantaneously, by the way, by the 49ers. And I'll get to that in a moment. But Cannell tweeted right after the play, quote, this is cringeworthy. Why doesn't Rodgers get on this or not even try? We skewered Cam Newton for a similar play in the Super Bowl. That was his tweet. So uh, I, I didn't see this, I guess, until yesterday, I think, after the show, maybe. It's one of the worst. T- I went back and looked at it because my, my first reaction was Aaron Rodgers, Cam Newton, the ball was sitting right in front of him, like in that Super Bowl game. He, he, he avoided it. Like he didn't want any part of the contact. Aaron Rodgers definitely doesn't make a play on this ball, but here's the reason. And this is what makes it, to me, one of the worst takes of all time. The two situations, the two plays are not even close. Aaron Rodgers fumbled the snap. It literally, Tommy, if you go through it and watch it on replay, slow it down real time, it doesn't matter. It hits the ground and jets forward and almost instantaneously is recovered by 49ers defensive lineman DeForest Buckner, who was on the other side of the line of scrimmage. There's no attempt from Rodgers to make a play on recovering the ball because the ball gets recovered immediately, making it unrecoverable. In that particular situation, in fact, I, you know, if you look at it, even if it hadn't been recovered immediately, the ball moved away from Rodgers and then is behind this mass of humanity, which is the defensive and offensive lines almost acting as a wall in front of where the ball is. He had no chance. In fact, I, only only the receivers that were split out and maybe his running back had less of an opportunity to make a play I, on the ball. I, I think you're giving Rodgers way too much credit no. here. You, have you, when's yes. the last time you saw this play? Well, I, I, yeah. I saw it, uh, uh, you know, it replays on Sunday. Yeah, but it was hard to follow the ball, wasn't it? Yes. Not for him, because he saw it got recovered immediately. Okay, okay. Danny Cannell was not alone. You know, I, didn't, I didn't say he was. Okay. What I did, what I am saying is, it's the worst take 
anybody I, may have had Mike McC- in a long time. The you two hear, plays you are ever not hear remotely Mike similar. Mike McCartney, the Who, agent, Kirk's Kirk, agent, Kirk's agent. Yeah, he tweeted out, "I think I just saw a business decision." Yeah, well, he's wrong. Okay. No, anybody that has that position is dead wrong. Well, let me just say this. They're dead wrong if they compare it to the Cam Newton play. That's what's totally inaccurate. And to me, what Cannell's doing there is he is tweeting something and creating this hot take with a bit of racial overtone to it. You know, Aaron Rodgers, white quarterback, doesn't make a move on the fumble, doesn't get criticized, and then Cam Newton, black quarterback, gets criticized like hell. The bottom line is the two plays are not even remotely close. Cam Newton, Tommy, because I went back and, and, and watched the two, Cam Newton in that Super Bowl is in throwing motion, and as the arm gets all the way back, Von Miller swipes and strips the ball. The ball bounces in front of Cam Newton no more than two, three, maybe three and a half feet away from him with nobody around the ball. He looks at it. He starts to make a play for it. And then DeMarcus Ware from the ground being blocked reaches his arm in the direction of the ball, and Cam Newton stops and backs up. You, it, Anybody that is viewing this objectively, which I was going into it, we'll see that these two plays are not remotely close. Cam Newton decided not to go for it. He made a business decision in the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers never had a chance to make a decision. The ball was recovered within less than a half a second after the ball. It literally hits his hands, bounces underneath the center, forward, right into DeForest Buckner's arms. And then he gets up and tries to run with it. Aaron Rodgers is looking at the whole thing. He starts to back up. By the time he would even take a step forward, the ball's already recovered. And by the way, if it hadn't been recovered, he's got no chance. The ball's on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So anyway, I just thought after reading that thing, somebody sent it to me and then going back and looking at it, and anybody that felt that way, it's a terrible take. Now, if you want to say Aaron Rodgers made a business decision by not going after DeForest Buckner and really making an effort, that's different from... Cam Newton got criticized for doing the same thing. He didn't. He didn't do the same thing. It was a totally different thing. I'll take your word for it. I didn't break them down like the Zabruder film. I did. So, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just thought for an agent to comment about another player like that in a game, I thought it was pretty strong. A pretty that was a pretty strong take. I, I didn't see his take, but yeah. that is pretty strong. Yeah. yeah, you know that. I think I just saw a business decision. Right. Um, well, you know, it was part of a half in which Aaron Rodgers was completely befuddled. You don't see him that much that way. And it looked really like he was at times lackadaisical and disinterested in the entire, you know, uh, performance in the first half. You know, for, for the Although Packers. that's the way he is when he's playing well, too. I yeah. mean, that's part of Aaron Rodgers' mistake is that, I mean, he ju- he does – he. His expression doesn't seem to change whether he throws a 60-yard touchdown pass or fumbles the ball. That's true. I mean, he's expressionless. That's true. I think it maybe was more about there was sort of a lack of physical urgency from him in the first half. But again, like I talked about this yesterday, and I don't you did radio yesterday on the holiday. Like, he didn't have a chance. In the first half. No. That defense was overwhelming. Yeah. And could, by the way, the when the 49ers had the ball, they, they didn't get stopped. Right. They couldn't protect him. No, they, they really had a difficult time protecting him at, at, at that point. But like I said, look, one of the things I admire about Aaron Rodgers 
is when he throws a 50-yard pass, it's like you or I throwing a piece of paper in a waste paper basket. The amount, the amount of body motion yeah. you see in him when he does that so quick is and is so limited. Yeah, you know he's not it's Mahomes-esque. Yes, in a way. <laughs> but so I, I just, I think that's just his style, his his disinterest style. I mean, I think the most excited he is is when he does a State Farm commercial. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I agree with that, but there is definitely, you know. I was saying yesterday that I think the three quarterbacks, and you throw Lamar Jackson into this too, but like you, you're watching three, and I know you're going to hit me with Tarkington and Staubach, and you're right, you know, and there are others, but Mahomes and Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Jackson are like the. It's incredible how unbelievably good they are at extending plays that don't have a shot, you know, as called, and they make so many plays off schedule. Mahomes, ridiculous in the last two games, how many off schedule plays he makes, and Rodgers, you know, is the same way. He just couldn't do it against that defense in the first half. No. They were overwhelmed. No, but but you're right about Tarkenton and Stallback, particularly Stallback. Stallback is a guy who who would have – Tarkenton would not have made that run up the field for a touchdown that Mahomes did. Staubach would have. He yeah. would have made that run. Because Staubach was not afraid of contact. Right. He would seek it out. Now, the difference between Staubach making that run in 1977 and Mahomes making that run in 2020 is that Staubach would have taken a massive shot at the beginning of that run, whereas the Tennessee linebacker that approached him was tiptoeing as to not, you know, draw a foul, yes. and Mahomes took advantage of that. Yes. You know, the rules being what they are now, Staubach would have sought contact and would have received contact. Yeah. Big contact. And Tarkenton <clears throat> Tarkenton was was just as great as Mahomes is uh, scrambling and yeah. then throwing but he would not have taken off on a run like that. He he would not. Tarkenton too that. was like a small. He was tiny. Yeah, you know? he and was. He, he was running around, zipping around all over. Uh, he's Sometimes very underrated like... in in terms <clears throat> of quarter. I mean, he, for years he held the touchdown record. I know in the NFL. I think three hundred forty-two career touchdowns for years. That was the record. Well, I mean, didn't he have the passing yardage for many many yeah. years? So I mean, he's a very who underrated passed, quarterback. Who passed his mark, Marino. Who, Probably, probably. Who went to? The, who took his team to the Super Bowl? What three times? Yeah, uh, he took the Vikings to the Super yeah, Bowl. Joe three Cap times. was the fourth right. loser. Yeah. So I mean, he's he's an underrated quarterback in 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 the, in the scope of things. I agree with that. I, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I always remember Tarkington not only as a great quarterback, but a quarterback didn't win the Super Bowl, but won a lot of big games. Yes, you know, one they got put it this way: they got there three times with him, which meant he had to win two playoff games in each of those three years <laughs> to get there. In fact, I, I would like to see what Fran Tarkington's um, playoff record is because I bet it's pretty damn good, even though he didn't uh, <clears throat> he didn't a uh, six and five career as a playoff quarterback. Um, lost to the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. Uh, remind me just to mention something about that game here in a moment. The Steelers in the first Steelers Super Bowl win, and then lost to the Raiders, that great Raiders right. 1976 team. And neither one, of, neither one of the three Super Bowl losses were close. No. Um, but but they beat good teams like Dallas and the Rams and the Redskins, you know, in the postseason yeah. to uh, to get to those Super Bowls. Not not the Redskins in a championship game, but a divisional playoff game twice. Um, so what about the, the Redskins, the Dolphins? <clears throat> so 
Jimmy Garoppolo is six for eight, you know, for 77 yards. In the first quarter, right? For the game. Oh, for the game. I know. I know. Uh, were you kidding? Yeah, I was okay. kidding. You you had this serious no, look, I was like, ma- I was like ma- I had surprised you. I was that. making. I was doing my. I was doing Aaron <laughs> oh, oh, Rodgers there for a second. I didn't pick up on that because you actually gave me a look that you give often when you're confused, which I see usually twice a show. Um, so he had eight attempts in a winning playoff game, the fewest since Bob, Bob Greasy. Greasy. I, I knew that was coming in Super Bowl seven, uh, Super Bowl eight, excuse me, which was the Super Bowl against Minnesota. In that particular Super Bowl, Greasy was six of seven for seventy three yards. Prior to that, in that same postseason, um, where they lost to uh, to Miami, um, where they lost, uh, I'm sorry, where they. Where, where the Dolphins beat Minnesota, excuse me, in the Super Bowl. They won the 73 season. Back then, the playoffs were actually contested in, in December, and then the Super Bowl was the only thing in January. Yeah. In fact, the date of that Super Bowl was January 13th, and now we're in early February you know, for the Super Bowl. So in that particular um, playoff uh, season, um, so he was 6 for 7 in the Super Bowl game. Hold on, I'm going to find it here in a second. I apologize. I, I had it yesterday. If, and I, if that was the year so, that the Dolphins had the two 1,000-yard rushers. Yeah. That when Mercury Morris... 72 was, I thought. I think 72 oh, okay. when they beat the Redskins, they had um, they had Mercury Morris and, and Larry Zonka, Zonka and then Jim Kick Jim was really Kick. close. Yeah, Jim Kick had about 600 and <laughs> exactly. 700 yards, and Morris and Zonka both had over 1,000. So this is why Greasy could throw seven yeah. times in a Super Bowl, and in the AFC Championship game, Tommy, the week before, against the Raiders... In a game that they won 27 to 10, easily, no sweat game, he was three for six for 34 yards. I mean, what we saw in this postseason with the Tannehill numbers, you know, he, he had more attempts, but throwing yeah. for under 100. And then with Garoppolo, six for eight in an NFL game in 2020, and they win the game going away. You have to go back to Bob Greasy in the seventies to see something that was similar to it. Bob Greasy in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Yes, he is. Do yes, think? he is. Uh, you think deserving of it? Uh, yeah, I do. I think I felt like Boy, when he... I watched him play, he was a Hall of Fame quarterback. I did. You know, the remarkable thing about those Dolphin teams, and I'm, I'm sure people have asked Paul Warfield this: people who played in that era will tell you that Paul Warfield may have been the greatest NFL receiver of all time. Yeah, but. He had, but his numbers are pale to to everybody because, because Bob Greasy didn't throw the ball, he didn't throw the football. But Paul Warfield was universally respected as one of the great receivers, uh, but his numbers just don't just don't add up to it. And how frustrating! I wonder how frustrating it must have been for this guy who was the best receiver on the field any given Sunday. You know, to to have a quarterback throw ten times a game. Well, that was an era of two number forty twos who were great: Charlie Taylor and Paul yes. Warfield. Yeah, both wore the same jersey number forty two, and both were considered the best receivers. But at least their, Charlie had Sonny Jurgensen for years. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is why I like Bob Greasy in the Hall of Fame. I didn't see. I saw. I remember a lot of his career. Okay, in the seventies is where I first remember football. But, I mean, I'm looking right now at, at, at Greasy as a playoff quarterback. First of all, you know, the year they went undefeated, Earl Morrill was the quarterback for right. much of that year because Greasy was hurt. And Morrill started the AFC Championship game against Pittsburgh. I, I, he started that game. Greasy came in for Morrill in that game, a game they won. Just as a side note, it's just kind of odd. 
back then, home field advantage wasn't determined by record. It was determined each year they had a rotating uh, home field advantage for the championship game for divisions. Okay. Like, this division has home field this year, next year. It didn't <laughs> matter. And as the 14-0 and Miami Dolphins, 14-0, and they played the AFC championship game at Pittsburgh. Well, they were 15-0 because they won the week before. So they were on the road as an undefeated team <laughs> in the AFC title game at Three Rivers Stadium. They won the game. But in that Super Bowl... Um, against the Redskins, which was Super Bowl seven, Greasy was eight for eleven, for for eighty eight yards. Yeah. Then I gave you the three for six the following year in the AFC Championship and six for seven in that Super Bowl. He had a playoff game in seventy one, which was the week after the famous Christmas Day game at Arrowhead, which is I think still the longest game in NFL history. The AFC Championship game that year against Baltimore, which was in Miami, he was four for eight. Four for eight. I what? Are, I mean, this is what you had back then, and they, they had a great running game, but you also had games that were much shorter, fewer plays. Although in that particular game, how about this? He threw four four completions for 158 yards. There you go. Uh, come on, that's fifty something. That's fifty two <laughs> yards per per completion. No, not fifty two yards per. One hundred fifty eight yards in. He's literally almost forty yards per completion. Yes, in that game, that's an efficient quarterback. Well, let's just see. Warfield must have had all of them. Warfield had a seventy five yard touchdown catch. Warfield had two catches for one hundred twenty five yards <laughs> in the game, and then Howard Twilly, who I remember a, Howard Twilly, he caught a touchdown pass against yeah. the Redskins in Super Bowl seven. Um, had two catches for thirty three yards. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, enough of this. Um, I remember th- who was the tight end from those teams? Marv Fleming. Uh, Marv Fleming used to play for the Packers. It, 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 right, and wasn't he? A, was he a baseball player too? I don't think so. No, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else from those teams. I'm pretty sure that the year that you had two 1,000 yard rushers in a 14 game regular season with a near third, I'm pretty sure that was their undefeated season. Okay. Um, and then remember, after that next Super Bowl, so they lost to the Cowboys, beat the Redskins, beat the Vikings. Right. The Dolphins they went played to three straight Super in three Bowls. straight Super Bowls and won two of them. And after that second win over Minnesota, um, there was a massive defection to the World, World Football, Football League. League. That's right. For a lot of the Dolphins, Warfield and Zonka and Kick, right, all went to all the went. World Football League. Yeah. Yeah, People that, don't even remember the World Football no. League. Well, it was it only lasted like half, half a, a season, right? That's where John Matuszak <clears throat> started. The great John Matuszak started in the World Football League. Yeah, I don't. Even, I mean, I, I remember it was like a summer league, right? Spring summer league, and the games were televised. And what year was this? Seventy four, I think. You see, I was drunk a lot of the time, so <laughs> I really don't remember. I wasn't old enough to drink a lot of seventy four. <clears throat> um. Anyway, so let let me get to this thing that I worked on for you. Just for me. Just for you. So you're so nice. You're so considerate. I know. I don't know why people say you're so mean. I put in a lot of effort for the show yesterday. So, um, so yesterday, Tommy, I was mentioning, you know, with the 49ers winning and the Chiefs winning, that you know, it's sort of a reflection that it can be done in so many different ways. You know, you've got an elite quarterback and you've got an elite defense. You know, the 49ers are a great defensive team. The Chiefs are really led by, you know, a lot of weapons on offense, but they're in the Super Bowl because of Patrick Mahomes more than anything else. Yes. And that, you know, there are lots of ways to do it. And, you know, we so many football fans will say you got to have the quarterback. You got to have the quarterback. And I've always felt, you know, to a certain degree that you really have to have the quarterback. 
as well. So I set out yesterday um, to quickly just look at some data from the last 10 years, and it turned into a three-hour project (laughs) that um, I finished very early this morning. But basically, I went through the exercise of looking at the elite quarterbacks of the last 10 years and the elite defensive teams of the last 10 years. Because I was absolutely convinced that what I was going to find is that if you've got the elite quarterback, even though there are many ways to do it, more often than not, the elite quarterback produces more than the elite defense. I thought that's what I was going to find. Um, What I found was basically that the two situations are exactly the same. And bear with me here. So the first thing I did is I, I went through all the quarterbacks. And I came up with my own sort of, you know, my own definition of what a franchise elite quarterback is, and I said top eight in the league for the last 10 years. You may come up with something else. Everybody listening may come up with their own definition. I came up with Brady. I was going to look at Brady, Breeze, Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Peyton Manning, even though he only played five of the 10 years during the decade. Russell Wilson didn't play the entire decade either. Ben Roethlisberger, and then I threw in... Uh, Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers to round out like the eight best quarterbacks, the truly elite quarterbacks of the decade. Um, you know, you could no, argue Luck or you could argue Newton briefly or Mahomes for two years, but those were the no, eight that I came up with. No Kirk? No Kirk. Um, so, um, so anyway. I'm just asking what everybody else out there is asking okay. at the same moment uh, I, I as they're hearing this. I wouldn't have thought of Kirk as a okay. top eight quarterback okay. of the decade. Okay. First of all, I didn't start for the first time until 2015. Okay. Now, if we did the last five years, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, anyway, um, the numbers were remarkable. When I went through, I took the top eight quarterbacks, and I first of all you know, went through every game they started in their records as starters, the t- team's records as starters. The eight quarterbacks over a 10-year period had a 656 winning percentage in the regular season. If you took, when then I went through the defenses, I took the top five defensive teams each year for 10 years. Okay, and if you added up the records of all of those teams, you know, top five defenses in 2010, the top five defenses in 2014, and what the team's records were, their winning percentage 654, identical. Wow, identical winning percentages. If you had an elite quarterback or you had a top five defense, then I went to the next step, which was the postseason. So with these quarterbacks, there were 73 opportunities to play in the playoffs. It wasn't 8 times 10 because some of the quarterbacks didn't play every year. Yeah, um, 49 out of the 73 opportunities to go to the postseason, they went 49 times, 67% of the time. If you had one of those elite quarterbacks, those eight elite quarterbacks, you went to the postseason. If you had a top five defense, so it was basically five defenses times 10 years, 50 opportunities, you went to the playoffs 35 times, 70%, almost the same percentage. And then when you looked at the next step, which was winning Super Bowls or getting to Super Bowls, 12 of the elite eight quarterbacks over a 10-year period, 12 times they participated in Super Bowls, and eight times a top five defense made it to the Super Bowl. So let, let me clarify in the Super Bowl thing. So in the Super Bowl thing, the elite quarterbacks, 12 times out of 73 opportunities, they went to the Super Bowl. For the top defenses, 8 times out of 50, 16%, 16%. Identical. 
All right, so winning percentage was identical. Participating in the Super Bowl, identical. The only thing that was slightly different was that about by, by about a three percentage difference is that if you had a top five defense, more likely to participate in the postseason at seventy to sixty seven percent. I found that none of this is is revealing because everybody knows if you have a great quarterback, you're going to win more, and if you have a great defense, you're probably going to win more. What I found interesting is that the numbers were almost identical. Almost identical. So essentially, if somebody says, ah, you got to have the quarterback. No, if you have a top five defense, you have just exactly the same chance. What about those defenses that had a great that had an so, quarterback? It's a good question. So there was some crossover. There right. was, you know, the, the Seattle teams, the Green Bay team that went to the Super Bowl and went to the playoffs, Pittsburgh with There were teams. I didn't break those out, but there were obviously examples of teams that had, had a top both. five defense and a and an elite quarterback, and obviously your preference if you were choosing between, hey, elite quarterback or great defense or both, you'd take both, clearly. Um, But, yeah, there are plenty of examples of where you had both. But I also went and looked at those teams and thought, which was more sort of the reason that they were there? And out of the last 10 Super Bowls, basically you come up with five teams where they were defensive-led and five winners that were primarily quarterback or offensive-led. Sort of split on that front, too. Um, I guess what this led to was this. So the data says if you got a top-five defense in a given year or you got in you know, next year, if you got a top-five defense, your chances of winning, you'll win the same number of games as a team with an elite quarterback. You'll have the same chance, if not a slightly better chance, to advance to the playoffs. And you'll have the exact same chance to make it to the Super Bowl. However, if you think about this, and, and, and I sort of thought about it in these terms, right now, would you rather have San Francisco's defense or Patrick Mahomes? Because they're both in the Super Bowl. Wouldn't you say Patrick Mahomes? Yes. So would I. And what that really says is that if you have the elite quarterback, the chances that that elite quarterback is going to sustain that elite level of play over 10 years is greater than your ability to have a top five defense each and every year for 10 years, which I think is true. Well, but part of the reason for that is the game is geared towards the offense. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the game is geared for the offense to score more than the defense to stop them from scoring. That's the way of the rules of the NFL now. But Mahomes, you have to put him in a separate elite category because I don't think there's anybody else, save for Lamar Jackson, not yet even, I don't think there's anybody on that elite list other than Mahomes that can counteract a great defense by being able to score within a minute on any <laughs> given time. I mean, that, that's that's the Mahomes' greatness. <clears throat> is that that's why I didn't think that Tennessee would have a really had any chance because as 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 much as they controlled the ball if they wanted to, right. As much as the defense would be able to stop them. Uh, Patrick Mahomes can score in one minute. Yeah, I mean, most of these quarterbacks can't get down the field like he can. That's, that quick that, that's, strike is so so un- unlike we anything we've seen. That that's definitely a conversation that we have to have between you know now and the Super Bowl is just this freak that is Patrick Mahomes. Yes. because I don't know that it's getting um, 
you know, at least from me, as much a, a, attention in these first two days following the AFC Championship game as I'd like to give it because I'm blown away. Those are two of the best back-to-back quarterbacking performances I think I've ever seen, and I'm trying not to be sort of captured by the you know moment in the recency bias that we always have, like it's the greatest we've ever seen or the worst thing we've ever seen, but my God. What Patrick Mahomes just did yes. the last two weeks is outrageous. Really, you know, I Sally mean, Jenkins wrote about it in her column. She pointed this out over the two years that he's been starting. Yeah, the Chiefs in their losses have never lost a game by more than seven points. That's what I didn't know that one. That's stunning. That, yeah, never they lost, they haven't a lost game. many games. Period. Right. But the losses never more than seven. Never more than a touchdown and an extra point. Away from from tying the game. That's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah that's anyway. You, I mean, we can move on to, to that that portion of it. Actually, I want to I, I want to add to that because somebody uh, a caller mentioned something to me today that I think you'll find interesting, and I found interesting because I thought I think I agreed with him. But the bottom line is, for me, I'd still take the quarterback, and the Redskins are going to have you know potentially a chance at either the great defense with an addition of a great defensive prospect, like or, a Chase Young, or an elite quarterback, probably not Burrow, but what if Tua Tungaviola gets evaluated as a great quarterback? Some people out there, Aaron had somebody on his uh, gambling show with Murray um, in Jenkins that that uh, from Pro Football Focus that said Tua Tungaviola is a, a generational talent, right? Yeah. <laughs> he came on and said if he was the Redskins, he would be taking Tua at number two. Yeah. Wow. So the the point is, I do think it's once you have an elite quarterback, the chances that that quarterback will sustain a high level of play for 10 years is greater than your ability to have a top five defense year in and year out for 10 years. So it requires more people and, you know, whatever. So are you going to be filing your research with the, <laughs> with the Pro Football Hall of Fame? No, I'm not. You're not going to be no, doing that? No. In fact, I'm, it's very, very flawed, I'm sure. <laughs> And let's just not get Price Waterhouse uh, on this thing to audit it because it would probably. I mean, be, I think I think you should at least yeah. give the Pro Football Hall of Fame a call and say, "Look what I found out." So some, the conclusion is. <laughs> so, so the conclusion is what everybody all uh, you know already knew. So somebody called this morning and they mentioned something. Wait a minute! Somebody called. Somebody called the show. That's this a, that's amazing. Um, Go ahead. So the. Uh, they they said something and they just sort of glossed right over it and then I, I came back to it and I'm going to come back to it with you. They, they in getting caught up in this Mahomes um, you know frenzy, he said, "Don't forget that in 1984, Dan Marino did things that no one had ever seen before. He threw for 48 touchdowns, which eviscerated the record. He threw for 5,000 yards when nobody was throwing for 4,000 yards, and we thought." that he was the next coming in the same way we think about Mahomes. And then he went to the Super Bowl and got absolutely destroyed by a really good team, all-around team. But that 49er defense that year was awesome. And he couldn't do anything against it. And he sort of said, be, be careful because Mahomes is running into a great 49er defense. That's pretty good. Don't you think that they're – I think they're very – I think the similarities between Marino, the way we felt – not their styles of play. Right. The way we felt about Marino in 1984. Yeah, Marino very was similar. doing things that we hadn't seen before. He's exactly. right. Yeah. No, he's right about that. That's a good point. Um, and But at the same time, I think Mahomes is even better because Mahomes does it with his legs too. Yeah. It's like ridiculous what he does. Yeah. Um, what's your first blush on the Super Bowl? 
my first blush is is is, is uh, the Chiefs. It's is Mahomes. I mean, I mean, I think that uh, as good as the 49ers defense, you know, has been, I just think that again, I mean, the, the 49ers they could stop the Chiefs uh, five, six, seven times. And like I said, they they could they could have a seventeen nothing lead, yeah, and be behind twenty four seventeen in a matter of ten minutes. What we've seen with forty one unanswered and twenty eight unanswered in two consecutive weeks against one team that's very good defensively in Tennessee was I don't yeah. think we've ever seen that before. I mean, the, Not the, the way the it com- happened, the, the comeback ability, yeah, is, is so quick, quick strike. And plus, I do think that the the Chiefs defense, while it's not the Forty ers defense. They have a pass rush that could give Garoppolo a hard time. I, I boy, I I'm not blown away by the Chiefs defensively. No, it's not. And but, I thought but, the, I thought Tennessee got away from Derrick Henry but they got, too they, early. They have a pass rush that that could give Garoppolo problems. Yeah, they problems. do. They do. Uh, Frank Clark could be a real. problem. I think they're going to have a problem stopping the run. You know, that's going to be the best. See, Tennessee did did it perfectly in the first half. They possessed the football. They ran the football, and they scored. Almost every single time they had it, and they were still down twenty-one seventeen yes. at halftime. Yeah, because of that freak at quarterback. Yeah. Um, so my first blush is, is, is Andy Reid gets his first Super Bowl championship. That would be that would be nice. I think that would be fun to see he's, Andy Reid. He, he's become he's become a sentimental figure uh, of late. I mean, did you see him when he dropped the challenge flag on one play uh, uh, during the game? I mean, he walks down the field so slowly, yeah. and then he just sort of like drops yeah, the well, flag. Yeah, he's waiting to hear from somebody upstairs. <laughs> it was so funny, though. Uh, but people I know, or people who we know, guys like B-Mitch, who played for, for Andy Reid, just rave about what, what a great coach he is. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear any ex-players of Andy Reid or people who have worked for him in the organization. Yeah. Ever badmouth them. Well, you know, the only thing Andy Reid's been not very good at over the years is clock management, which any idiot, you know, sitting on a couch <laughs> can do pretty much. Um, and, you know, certain talk show hosts that say that it's much harder than it looks, actually, it probably is if you're down there on the field having to come up with it. But from the couch, it's pretty easy, actually, if you can do simple addition and subtraction. Now, p- um, part of the reason yeah. that, I mean, I mean, if you contrast the coaches, uh, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, I don't think Kyle Shanahan is as unlikable as he used to be. He used to be pretty unlikable. Well, he was unlikable, and I talked about this yesterday, because of the perception, not the reality, that he was getting these jobs because of his last name. Part of the percep- part of part of the unlikability was his arrogance. Yeah. You're right. I mean, there were people who, who played for him. Who worked with them? Actually, the people that played for him loved him. Well, and only really because, liked only him. because media they, people they, they thought lo- he was a bit arrogant. They loved. They loved players. Love coaches who can prepare them to to, to succeed. And he's a much better and, communicator than his father. Yeah, he is. Okay, Mike, uh, Mike always said that. Mike said he's going to be a much better coach than I ever was. And part of it is, you know, he was a very good communicator with his players. Now, part and of still the, is now. The part of the contrast I was getting to between Reed and, and, and Kyle Shanahan is, I think, at least for me, I think Kyle Shanahan's going to get more chances to win Super Bowls. 
This may be Andy Reid's last chance. Why? We just talked about how great Mahomes is. Why I, isn't this the beginning well, because of how, a dynasty? How long is Andy Reid going to coach? Well, he's 61. Why can't he coach for 10 more years? That's with, true. With, uh, with Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, I don't see him leaving anytime That's soon. True. Unless he's not. got you know some issues. You know, I was thinking about Andy Reid, and he's on that list of the greatest coaches. Hall of Fame coach. Andy Reid is a Hall of Fame coach. You know, even if he doesn't win. I don't think he gets in the Hall of Fame without the Super Bowl. I think he does. I don't see how you could put him in and not put Mike and Tom Flores in, who both have two Super uh, Bill Bowl Bill Cowher titles. just got in, and I and I understand that Cowher you know, has two Super Bowl titles as well. No, two, he doesn't. I mean, has he has one, one Super Bowl title. Andy Reid's body of work – see, this is why I think – and I made the case with you last week, right, that if Cowher's in, then Mike should be in. Because Mike, yes, he should Mike, be in. Look at, look at what we've seen in this postseason. It's Mike's fingerprints all over it. In almost every game in this postseason, we've seen his zone run scheme, his coaching tree, um, is is you know continues, and and Cower doesn't have that. Um, I think Andy, no, Mike should be in, but Tom Floyd should be in too. He has two Super Bowls. These guys didn't coach in as many playoff games and make the playoffs as many times as Andy Reid did with two different teams. Andy Reid's going to coach in his twenty seventh playoff game. I know in the Super Bowl. Um, but what, what I, is he, Marty? See, so he's on that list of the greatest coaches never to win. Like Marty Schottenheimer. Look, George Allen didn't win, a, didn't, didn't win a Super Bowl. He's in the Hall of Fame. That's true. Because of his influence and because he was a winning coach. George Allen, in fact, I pulled this list up. The number one coach of all time not to win a Super Bowl, according to this list on in Yahoo Sports, was Bud Grant. I mean, got to four, didn't win one. Yeah. Bud Grant won a lot of freaking games at Minnesota. 18 years, 621 winning percentage, four Super Bowl appearances, and he didn't did, win it. he did it in short sleeves, some might want to point out, outside. Right. <laughs> he did. Um, I would have thought that Marv Levy would have been second on the list because right. he, that too, lost four, four Super, Bowls. Super Bowls. George Allen's number two on okay. this list is the greatest coach never to win a Super Bowl. Marv George, Levy, coach for George Allen, for was special, teams, special coach. teams coach. You know, George Allen's overall record, Tommy, it really is remarkable. Um, George Allen lifetime is one sixteen and forty seven as as a record, just like his son Bruce, <laughs> except yeah. the opposite. It's got a seventy eight percent win percentage over twelve years, um, but he was two and seven in the postseason. Yeah. And the two games he won were the was the one year he advanced to the Super Bowl in nineteen seventy two with the Redskins, and he lost that Super Bowl. But he was he like Mike in many ways was an innovator. He was he was the developer of the nickel defense. He was the first guy to make special teams a priority and hire a specific yes. guy to coach special teams. Yes, but one of the complaints you heard from Redskins players about George Allen. Too conservative. And and too too overprepared sometimes yeah. in postseason. I yep. mean, when they were preparing for the Dolphins at some point, I forget who it was who told me this, but they looked at high school films from some of the players <laughs> on the Dolphins. He said, like they said, they were just too overprepared. It was yeah. too much. Right. And, and and the more the more being the more preparedness, the tighter his teams got. Yes, that's the thing about Super Bowl Seven that they all say that that he was incredibly tight the whole week. Yes. They didn't have any fun, and that they played tight. Yeah. In that Super Bowl, you know the Redskins were favored in that Super Bowl. I'm I, I believe I'm right about that. Um, you know, and in the, another key to that Super against Bowl against an undefeated AFC team, which you know was still in '72. You know, it's still the AFL NFL thing, even though AFL teams have had won. You know, I interviewed Jim Langer, the Hall of Fame center for that Dolphins team, years ago, 
And he said Dolphins what, were one point favorites. One of the keys to that game <clears throat> yeah. was the Dolphins using a five man line. Yes, they used putting the Manny Fernandez over Len, Len Haas. Haas. And Langer said he just destroyed him. He just absolutely destroyed him. And Len Haas was a great center, but uh, Manny Fernandez just ate him up. He's the guy who should have been the MVP of that Super Bowl. Well, remember. I think it was Jake Scott. Um, five-man defensive front yeah. was what George Allen used against John Brockington and the Green Bay Packers that same year in the divisional round of the playoffs, a game that the Redskins won 16-3 to at RFK Stadium. And the fifth player was... Um, Bill Brundage? No. No. The fifth the fifth defensive lineman was... Was it Manny Sistrunk? I think it was Sistrunk. Maybe it was. I think it was Manny Sistrunk. Um, because Bill Brundage was already a starter okay. on that defensive line, and I think he put Manny Sistrunk in as the fifth defensive lineman, and they completely shut down John Brockington, who was a really good running yes, back. Yes, he was. Year, Very good running back. And made back. Scott Hunter, who was it was not Bart Starr that year. No. It was Scott Hunter beat him, and he couldn't do it. Dan Devine was the coach <laughs> Dan of that, Devine was the that coach Packers team. team. Yep. Um, so anyway, oh, the rest of this list real quickly. So number three on the list is Marty. Um, number uh, in terms of coaches, greatest coaches never to win the Super Bowl. So one is Bud Grant, two is George Allen, three is Marty Schottenheimer. Marty is not in the Hall of Fame. Marty is not in the Hall of Fame. Four is Marv Levy. Marv Levy is in the Hall of Fame. Yes, he right? is. Um, I- I'm right about that, aren't I? I think he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Andy Reid is number five on the list. Don Coriel is six, and you could you could make the is Coriel in the Hall of Fame? No, no he's not. He's always the guy people he's come, point he to. He comes close. See, his yeah. his level of influence on offensive football, right? Well, yeah. You know, is you know, and and by the way, had among his coaching tree guys, Joe John Gibbs. Madden and Joe Gibbs. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> and Bill Hannafin and a lot of others that didn't yeah. have nearly the success. Number seven on that list is Dan Reeves. Reeves went to a lot of Super Bowls as yeah. a coach. Three different teams. He took the Broncos to two Super Bowls, took the Giants to a Super Bowl, and took the Falcons to a Super Bowl. Yes, he did. You know, Dan Reeves, that's pretty impressive to take yeah. three different teams to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Marty took nobody to a Super Bowl, but took how many different teams to the playoffs? Four, Three different teams. Didn't take the Redskins to the playoffs, obviously. The Browns, the Chiefs, the Chargers. Right. Um, Chuck Knox is on the list. Now, those Rams teams that he coached and the Seahawks teams, none of them made the, the – well, Ray, Ray Malavasi was the coach yeah, of the Rams team the that 79, finally made it. when Vince Maragama yeah. was the quarterback. Um, John Fox is on the list. John Fox took the Panthers to a Super Bowl, took the Broncos to a Super Bowl. Um, Marv Lewis uh, – Marvin Lewis is number 10 on the list. Is he really? You know, went to a lot of – you know, seven playoff games with the Cincinnati Bengals franchise. Yeah. Seven playoff seasons. Yeah. Um. But, uh, I mean, that, that, that list seems right. I mean, I think uh, all of so, the guys that we would again, name are on the list. Bottom line is you <clears throat> think Andy Reid gets in whether he wins the Super Bowl I do, Bowl or because not. I think he's taken so many – he's had so many playoff teams. It's very rare that Andy Reid's had a bad season coaching. And I think the same is uh, true for Marty Schottenheimer um, as yeah. well. Um, but Andy Reid, I'm going to just pull it up real quickly. Uh I think I looked this up the other day, and he had very, like, hardly any. Again, my seasons. argument would be is uh, I think Mike Shanahan and Tom Flores are ahead of him online. Three total losing, three losing seasons in 21 years as a head coach. That's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it is. You know, that's it. Three losing seasons in 21 years as a head coach. He's won double digit games in three, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
in 14 seasons. 14 of his 21 seasons, he's won 10 or more games. Wow. It's pretty impressive. I, I think Andy Reid's playoff record, excuse me now, th- what I was looking at before wasn't updated. He's coached in 28 playoff games. He's 14 and 14 as a playoff coach and will coach his 29th playoff game. It's a lot more than the guys we're, we're talking about. Yes, it is. Um, anyway, a uh, quick word about mybookie.ag. If you're looking for a place to wager on the Super Bowl or college hoops or you know, the NBA, um, and you're looking for a place that's reliable and quality, high quality, it's mybookie.ag. They've got the fastest payouts, the best promotions, a very helpful customer service team, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, if you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway. So if you put in 1000 bucks, they'll give you an extra 500 to play with. They'll do it all the way up to $1,000. So if you make a $2,000 deposit, they'll give you $1,000 to play with and to wager with. They've got quality lines, many different ways to play, straight bets, parlays, teasers, in-game action, futures, whatever you want to bet, they've got it available at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC to activate the offer. Once again, that's KevinDC at mybookie.ag. I saw you post your um, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Yes. You do that every year. Yeah, I don't look. How many people do what you do? I, they're totally transparent with their Hall of Fame ballot. I don't know. I mean, there's over 500 voters, I think, or 400 some voters. So I can't tell you how many do it. A lot more do it now than they used to do it. Uh, and I'm in favor of total transparency, you know. Uh, but uh, it's the thing that generates more more passion when I post it on social media than anything. Really? Oh, absolutely. It's it's voting for the Hall of Fame is the thing that gets the most reaction from people uh, that they're impressed when they hear I do it, and then the people who are so angry about my ballot when it comes out. I mean, I've often compared it to sitting on the OJ jury. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. No, no, it's not the same. You're you're not uh, you're not in hiding in some hotel sequestered. No. Um, you but, get but, to do this out creates, in the open and then post what you're thinking but it and crea- what you do. It creates so much so much anger. I'm thinking he's guilty today. Ah, tomorrow, <laughs> you know what? They made some good points today. Dershowitz was really impressive today <laughs> yeah. in court. So yeah, um, I, I post in mind about the uh, results come out uh, later this afternoon. Uh, I think that Larry Walker's going to get Derek Jeter. Obviously, the question is, does he get a hundred percent? Is he unanimous? I don't think he'll get a hundred percent. I think some people won't vote for him. Uh, Larry Walker is last year on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll probably get in, and it looks like Kurt Schilling may get in. I didn't vote for Schilling. No, you didn't. But if he gets in, that's fine. Again, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a will of the electorate guy. Whatever the electorate votes for, that's fine. You know, I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't disrespect other people's ballots. Uh, everybody has their own opinion on this. However, the other side, the people who who feel the need to be to stand up for these noble cheaters, you know, this this great this great fight that they're fighting for the freedom of cheaters like like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they get incensed if you don't vote the way they want. They, they vote. Right. And they, some of them take their ballot and say, I'm going to boycott voting. I mean, some some baseball writers have said, because Bonds and Clemens are, are not That's... getting the Hall of Fame, 
I'm not going to vote anymore. Like a temper tantrum. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's really absurd. Like, you're not entitled to your wrong opinion. Yeah. Damn it. And I'm going to do yeah. something about it. That's stupid. So if they I get like, in. I like your reaction. If, if they get in, they get in. Yeah. I don't vote for either of them. I don't vote for Manny Ramirez. Why didn't you vote for Kurt Schilling? Well, because I think his numbers are borderline. I know he has great postseason numbers, but as far as as far as wins, I think he's got what two hundred and twenty wins or or career uh, wins. I just think he's he's a borderline figure. So uh, if he gets in, fine. If you voted for Kurt Schilling, I'm not going to say you're an idiot. You know, yeah. but uh, if but but it really is. There are people who who want my ballot taken away from me. Oh. That, there are people who have called me racist. Well, you did put your badge. One. You, yeah, you, you put your badge number on there. Well, you know, it's you probably funny. could have tweeted it out and just cropped that well, lower what's, half. What's wrong with that? You know, somebody could try to copy the ballot and send it in with your badge number and your signature no, and your name. That's okay. They can do that if they want. People would recognize. Believe me, the Hall of Fame would recognize my ballot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, you see, it's one nineteen. I did see with you your know badge when number. I started out, it was like in twenty in ninety three. <laughs> It was like eight something. Oh, you get a different badge number each year. Well, as as you as the membership yeah. gets old, as you get closer to the top, uh-huh. your badge number gets lower I and got lower. It. So you don't have the same badge number so, every year. No, so like it'll be a little bit. There'll see, be some people who will retire or get out of the business next year. So if I'm still in it, my badge number will be a little bit lower. In other words, there's a, I don't know who the number one is. But there's, a, you know, the guy who's been doing this the longest. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be 90-something, so, right? I guess. I um, don't know, but I'm at 119. You got a badge number. You're not an honorary voter. That may happen down the road well, at yeah. some point. <laughs> yeah, it will be until they <laughs> take that away. this way. Until they take that away from yeah. me, yeah. Um, yeah, so who cares what people's reactions are? How ma- but you didn't answer my question. How many people do this? How many p- p- post their ballot I don't, on Twitter? And I'm right, telling you, I don't know. Right okay. now, about half of the electorate have revealed their b- votes. Okay. There, there is something that says um, on this ballot. Um, you, if you can, you can do, you wi- do you wish to make your uh, do you wish to make public your vote 14 days after results are announced? You checked yes, but you made it public long before. Right. Because yeah. it comes out tonight, and two weeks from now, we'll see yes. how many people. Do we do we end up knowing how many people elected yes to this question versus no? No, we don't okay. know that. We don't know that. Uh, if Bonds and Clemens don't get in this time, which I don't think they are, uh, they may get in next <clears throat> year because next year's ballot is really weak. It is. There's not. It's who's not a first timer next year. I don't even remember, but nobody who's going to get in. Yeah. Nobody who's and, and the people who might be left over this year are not strong candidates. Even though I vote for Jeff Kent, vote for Omar Vizquel, vote for Billy Wagner, they'll be leftovers going on next year's ballot. They're not real strong candidates. So the opportunity is there next year, really, for Bonds and Clemens to get in. If they don't get in next year, the year after is their last year of Mm -hmm. eligibility. And that's also the first year that A-Rod is eligible and will be on the ballot. Wow, that'll be exciting. That's a nuclear ballot. That'll be exciting. Yes, and and David Ortiz is on that ballot. How many people could you have voted well. for up to 10? 10. And, and I, vote- I, I'm usually yeah, I'm a liberal usually, voter. Yeah, usually you have more but than five. But I voted for five. And of these five, did you already say this? I may have been uh, looking through your ballot and reading it when you said it. But other than Jeter, between Kent, Viscell, Wagner, and Walker, where do you think you'll be right and wrong? I don't think any of them are going to get in. Okay. Walker, no, I think Walker will get Walker's it. Walker's going to be really, really close Wa- right now. He's trending at like seventy-four point six. Okay, so Walker may or may not get in. The other guys, like I'm, I'm way off on Kent. 
Uh, even though he drove in, I think, 100 runs eight times as a second baseman. Uh, and uh, Wagner's gaining some traction. Billy Wagner is gaining some traction. Omar Vizquel's the greatest shortstop I ever saw. You know, and the shortstop, the de- the de- he won 11 gold gloves. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a position defined by defense, even in this day and age, to me, at least it is. So uh, he's gaining momentum, but he probably won't get in either. Like, I used to vote for Davey Concepcion when he was on the ballot. The best shortstop of the 70s. Part of the big red machine. You know, he didn't, he didn't wind up getting in. So uh, we'll see. So there, there are a couple guys who, you know, he, who keep track of it and then keep track of projecting it based on what they think the non-revealed ballots. They have Jeter making it in, of course. They have Walker at seven. They think it'll be 74.5%. Schilling at 70%. Bonds at 62. Clemens at 62. Omar Vizquel at 54. Really? Bonds and Clemens at 62? Yes. That's pretty. That's a low. There is such a drop at the end of people who, who, who. The people who don't reveal their ballots. A lot of them are not voting for Bronze well, or Clemens. Well, they tend to be the older, yeah. the older voters who don't use social media, who don't put yeah. it out that way, and that's yeah. why they have the drop there. Yeah. Yeah. Next year, Tim Hudson, Mark Burley, and Tory Hunter. Yeah, it's the not a strong, it's not a strong class. And then 2022, A. Rod, Ortiz, Teixeira, Rollins, Papel, Papelbon's going to be on the ballot. Well, yeah, everyone goes on the ballot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Paul Konerko is on this year's ballot. Eric yeah. Chavez is on this year's ballot. So that that's and a, that's the last and, year. And in order to stay on the ballot, in order to stay on the ballot, you have to have five percent of the vote. Yeah, or else you fall off. <clears throat> um, any other thoughts from uh, the weekend with anything that happened in the Astros, uh, in the Red Sox, and the Mets? You know, with um, Beltran, et cetera. We haven't talked about it since Thursday. No, but it's. Cl- I mean, it, I, I read. I read so much on it over the weekend. What it's. What's interesting about this, as opposed to steroids, is how many players out there are angry about this. How many opposing players? Yeah. Are and they're speaking out about it. Money, but it's the same effect. Like somebody on PEDs cost somebody a job yes. if they weren't good enough to play. Yeah, but Barry the, Bonds didn't cost somebody a spot. No, but, but he cost but, somebody something based on the numbers he was putting. Yeah, it up. could have cost an MVP. Yeah, I mean, which cost people money because this you get, one, you this, get bonus one money this one, this one cost playoff series. Yeah, it but, impacted you know the the Yankees and, but, and other teams in the postseason. But the thing with PEDs was. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of players speaking out because they may have had teammates who were doing the same thing. In this case, it's isolated. It's, it's isolated, or at least it's it's fairly isolated. Don't you think a lot of teams do did a lot of this stuff? I don't think they did it like like the Astros. You did. think Altuve had something on inside his uniform? I have no idea. I'm it not, certainly is weird. That I, video of him coming home saying, yeah, "Don't rip my shirt I off." I know. I'm not going down that road. I think that. Um, these players that are angry about this, they, they, players need to get suspended. But you, again, fine. For one thing, if they're all, how do you suspend the I whole team? I don't know how you do it. And then you got to deal with the players. Maybe you need this. to suspend the whole team. Then, then you've got grievances. You've got arbitration hearings. Oh boy, you know, and all that. I mean, what they what what Manfred did was hope that by having such harsh punishments of the people in management, it strikes fear in the heart of everybody. Yeah. 
That that that's what he's hoping for. Do you ever point. read Kevin Seifert's stuff on ESPN? Yeah, you know, I, I Kevin think, Seifert used to work for the Washington Times. I didn't know that. Yeah, he used to cover the Orioles. I think he's really good. Well, I taught him everything he knows. Oh well, that's why then. There you go. Um, he wrote a story that I read over the weekend that was essentially putting Deflate Gate in this side by side and it, it'll, making it laughable. Like yes. Deflate Gate wasn't even proven. No, you know, by the science. Deflate in fact, it was probably Gate disproven. Was by all science. about getting the Patriots. It was all about getting. The Patriots. That's all it was, and um, yeah, and so it, it was an interesting article. If you want to read it, I wanted to say one qu- a quick thing before we leave about college hoops because tonight Maryland's got a, it's Maryland Northwestern, you know, Big Ten basketball, brother. And Maryland's a seven and a half point favorite. Aaron, they've this this is a must game for Maryland. Like you cannot lose to Northwestern at home or on the road. It's so hard to win on the on the uh, on the road in this league this year. This is the one opportunity everybody's going to have to go in and win. And they just nearly beat Illinois. And I'm sure if they lose tonight, we're going to hear that from Turgeon <clears throat> after the game like Northwestern's been playing much right. better cuz you know Iowa after they crushed Maryland hasn't lost since and they're ranked 17th this or 18th this week. Maryland remained at 17. The other thing I was just going to mention is poor Virginia, man. They cannot score. I watched some of that game last night against NC State. They can't score. And they've always been great defensively under Tony Bennett. And they usually can't score under Tony Bennett. But this time, they really can't score. They've lost four or five games. And in the bracketology that Lunardi just put out, they're not in the field. Virginia is not in the field. They're on the outside looking in. In fact, the ACC only has five teams in Lunardi's latest bracketology. The Big Ten has 11 Wow. Big Ten actually had 12 of their 14 in his last run. Minnesota is now one of the first four out. Um, Georgetown's still in the field after losing to Marquette, <clears throat> but beating Creighton. And Georgetown right now is having, you know, they got a good chance. Um, they'd be in that, you know, one of those first four games. Uh, Maryland was a four seed in the latest uh, bracketology, Aaron. So they are headed in the wrong direction. Um, big game, though, for the Terps tonight. I think they'll get it tonight. I think they'll win that, and that'll set up a pretty big game for them Sunday uh, at Indiana. Um, God, I'm getting excited about Big Ten games, Tommy. <laughs> took me a few years. I was going to say, it only took you a little bit. <laughs> you know what? I watch many – those first few years, I just kept watching ACC basketball. Yep. Didn't even turn on the Big Ten network unless Maryland was playing. Right. Now – I watch the Big Ten Network. They do a great job on that network. I watch it every night, and I watch a lot of these games much before I watch ACC games. Last night, there wasn't a Big Ten game, which is why I watched some of the Virginia-NC State game. Um, Virginia, man, they're so they're they're so well coached, but it's it's hard to win games no matter who the coach is if you don't have players that can actually put the ball <laughs> through the hoop. All right, uh, we're done, right? Yep, that's it, boss. All right, uh, have a great day, everybody. Back tomorrow. I think there's a chance, just a chance, based on something that's going on with my other job, that I may have to bail on tomorrow's show. Aaron, I'll let you know, and I'll let all of you know by Twitter, either tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, but uh, I have um, I have a contractual obligation to attend an event tomorrow, so I may not be able to do a podcast. But I'll be back on Thursday. You'll be back on Thursday. All right. Uh, good day, everybody.